everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, As you may have been able to tell from the title of this episode, this is a special and definitely unique episode for the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. It has nothing to do with fashion, but rather infertility, which is something uh, myself and my husband, Mark, have been experiencing. And If you're just tuning in, it might not be the best place to start unless you happen to be interested in this topic, and that's great. We are glad to have you listen. But otherwise, if you're looking for fashion-related stuff, you might want to go find a different episode. Um, On that note, why are we doing this episode? There's a very, very, very specific reason, and that is that in our infertility journey, um, which was something that kind of slapped us in the face, uh, I had no idea everything we were going to go through was even a thing. Um, And we learned that infertility actually affects one in eight couples, which is quite a high number. Uh, The majority of the time, it is the female uh, factor, infertility, but does not exclude males. Um, And it got me thinking that there's not a ton of people out there talking about this stuff. And the majority of the people that tune into the podcast and that follow SFD content happen to be women between the ages roughly 25 to 45. And so there's a chance that infertility will affect many of you out there listening or maybe has already affected you. Um, And so in some sort of way, I felt an obligation to talk about this as an advocate to open up some conversation and as some education and awareness. And ideally, maybe even just produce a, a resource for other people to go to on this topic. Yeah. Um, because a lot of it is quite difficult and and hard to deal with. And we thought we were a lot more alone and, and we did some counseling and we'll talk about that. But, you know, there's a couple scenarios here. I'm sure there's a lot of people in the audience who have struggled or have somebody close to them struggling with some type of infertility issue. And based on the demographic of this podcast, I think that this is a definitely statistically a problem that it, that hits the people listening to this podcast. So raising awareness, knowing that you're not alone, and, and knowing that there's resources and there's there's ways to deal with this is, I think, really important. And we are going through this right now. We're recording this in about Thanksgiving, right before Thanksgiving 2019, and we just hit our third trimester, right? We did. So... Yeah. Big reveal. Um, <laughs> why do I feel like I'm going to cry a little bit? Um, that's probably a good thing, right? That is a good thing. Yeah. Um, so big spoiler alert. Um, I know I want to be sensitive too, though, because I know, um, you know, not everyone in their journey gets to a success point. Yeah. Um, so we did and have gotten to a success point. Um, so yes, we are expecting a baby a gender surprise baby, um, gender unknown, (laughs) uh, February to 2020. So I want to just make a quick comment here on this topic. It was something that I had a realization in, in, uh, in a counseling group. We did a counseling group with our fertility clinic. It's one of the things they offered. It was really great. And it actually inspired us to do this discussion. Yeah. Uh, It came as a result of that. We'll talk more about that over the next 30 or so minutes. But something that dawned on me that was really interesting is that the, the awareness level for infertility is partially due to taboos and people not wanting to talk about this. So that's fine. We get that. But I feel like the bigger reason for it not being necessarily in, in people's crosshairs is you don't know it's there. You either see people with children or without children. And so many people with children had an infertility issue and they treated that but a person or a couple with children or a child you can't tell the infertility crowd from the not infertility crowd so everybody just blends together and you have no idea of the people walking around in the mall at work or wherever you are who may be infertile may be going through this struggle or may just be completely incapable of having children and i think it's because you can't see the people who suffer from this unless you get to know them and you ask them questions. I think that that's one of the reasons it's not talked about a lot. And I think it's important to point out that so many of the children you see out there are the product of infertility treatments or, or procedures. Yeah. And one thing I want to point out and, and another just sort of, we're here to be very transparent about our whole story and everything. So I'll just put this out on the table right now. Um, IVF in vitro fertilization has become a very, uh, a much more comfortable and open and talked about topic. It's commonplace. 
uh, over the years. Yeah. It used to be more taboo. Yeah. We wound up doing IVF with a donor egg. So we used another woman's egg and Mark's sperm to get pregnant. And so that is still tends to be a little bit taboo, um, more taboo than, than just straight up IVF yeah. where you go through treatment and you wind totally. up using your own egg and your husband's own sperm. Which is one type of infertility yeah. procedure. Or and not treatment. to discount the difference between either one of the treatments, We're but the, the, donor, the donor component, which is either using a donor egg or donor sperm or even an entire donor embryo, um, is, is something that is not as open as I feel now it should be, especially having gone through it. Um, and so that was another reason that we thought, let's, let's talk about this a little bit. Yeah. I'm going to do the backwards really quickly. We, um, we're late to doing the family game cause we had a lot of adventures, <laughs> but, uh, it was about two years ago. I'm going to use rough timeline so we don't need to get too exact, Yeah. but about a little over two years ago. We were on our way out of town. We were at the airport checking in our luggage, and Heidi got a call from one of her the doctors. We were investigating um, just some fertility stuff in general uh, under the recommendation of another doctor. And we told the doctor, don't call us until after some time because we're on vacation, and if it's bad news, we don't want it. So what did they do? They called us, and it was bad news. And we were there at Denver Airport, Denver International Airport, and it was, it was, a, it was a crappy moment. It was one of the worst worst days and a very bad vacation, mostly because of that for me. So we found out basically, uh, Heidi went into early onset menopause and was out of eggs. That's it. There's nothing you can do about that. There's no, there's no kickstart. There's no pill. There's no treatment. You are out of, you are out of this material. And it was dropped on us literally as we were checking in luggage to get on a plane to go on vacation. And that was the start of the journey. Yeah. So um, just to give a quick sort of explainer on that, because um, I've gotten a lot of questions from people I've talked to. They're like, well, how did you not know you were in menopause? Um, Like, weren't you getting a period and stuff? So quicker backstory, about five years prior to that, when I was about 30, I was having hot flashes. I went to the doctor. They did a bunch of tests. They said, everything's fine. At that point, having a child was not even anywhere on my mind or Mark's mind. And so I didn't even think to ask those questions. They said everything was good. You assume the doctor knows what they're talking about. Let's put the pause right there. Asking the questions and engaging with your doctor and some of the things we're going to talk about here for, I believe for any younger women in the audience, let's just say under 40. (laughs) Yeah. Take heed to what we're saying like right now and, and a little and more through here. These are questions you need to you need to ask your doctor. If if there's an extra test that they should do, if you are concerned about it, or you have any inkling of concern, charge at it head on to make sure that either you don't have a problem or at least you're aware of any problems that might come up. Yeah, because some of our doctors currently now that we have gone through the infertility treatment with have said to me. Boy, I'd sure love to get a, my hands on those lab results back from when you were 30 because I got to believe either there was something they didn't yep. see or there was something they didn't test for. They go, I cannot believe at the age of 30 you were having hot flashes and they did not find something mismatched in your hormone levels. So um, It is so, actually something that ran through the back of my head of menopause. Is it? But it, like We just didn't bring it up. It just didn't I didn't come think up. the 30-year-old woman is, yeah. is going through menopause. I don't know woman's biology Well, like that. I didn't really know it either. and so <laughs> oh, That's why we're so, here today. I had these hot flashes and then they went away. They went away for five years and everything was totally fine and normal. In the meantime, I did have an IUD, which meant I had no period. So the number one question are people are like, well, weren't you getting a period if you were going through it? Menopause wasn't super regular. I didn't have a period for like 10 years because of the IUD, because of my birth control. And so, yeah. um, so that was just something that didn't even occur to me. Hot flashes came, got them tested, everything's fine. They went away. They came back again, which was when we started exploring this next, next situation, which was at the time we were thinking like, let's start a family. And that came back with early onset menopause. You have no eggs left. A woman's born with all the eggs that she'll ever have. Something I think I kind of knew, but didn't totally know. I actually did know that, but that's because yeah. of my degree. Well, and my dad didn't know it. So I, said, I don't think a lot of people know that. So like, once you're out, you're out. Like Mark said, there's no pill. There's no yeah. kickstart. And let me just jump in. Women are born with their entire inventory of eggs. And that's it. And and through menstrual cycle, they are they are discharged. And it, this is biology here, folks. And men, by contrast, 
continuously produce sperm throughout their entire life. Yeah. So, um, so anyhow, and I'm, I'm not choosing to have regrets over not asking further no. questions when no, I was no, no, 30 no. because you can't do that. So anyway, here we are um, learning we have no eggs and we learn our options, which was no baby, donor egg, or adoption. Right. Well, I'll be blunt. I didn't even know donor egg was a thing. Like I, this whole world like opened up to me. I was aware of it, but like so many parts of this journey and aspects of this, even even the the basic women's health stuff that you would think we all know, I was I was ignorant to. Yeah. Um, hit on the hit on the uh, adoption really quick. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> it's interesting because a comment that we've gotten a little bit, and a comment that many many people in our support group that we wound up going to. Um, get a lot is this comment and it comes off with this tone of well why don't you just adopt and (laughs) I say that a little snarky because I think that a lot of people can look at a situation of infertility and just think oh well just adopt it's so they say it as though it's so you go down to the store you pick out your baby and that's an adoption process and we are not opposed to adoption um, we were not opposed to adoption in, in choosing our options, but learning a little bit more about the process, hearing some stories, it is definitely not an easy process um, mentally, emotionally, timeline-wise. You can, I mean, be waiting many, many years. You can think you have this baby on the way and the birth mom delivers and changes her mind at the last minute. So um, we felt for us, and, and for some people that works, and that's amazing. I have a good friend and who some, just some adopted. adoptions go really quickly and smoothly. They do. Others drag on. Yeah. And there's a lot of factors in here, like you know, older children that are are placed you know in orphanages, if that's even still a PC term, uh, they're much quicker to adopt. But a a baby is is different. There's so many crazy factors, and we it wasn't for us yeah it just wasn't for us and we kind of um we went through some testing and we found out that my body was actually very very happy to carry we did a bunch of pre-screening and simulations with tests and drugs to like prep my body health wise you were very sound for carrying a baby. carrying the baby i just couldn't produce the material i just didn't have any inventory left yeah and so um so once we found out that we thought you know what we want something that's a little more in our control the idea of being pregnant, I won't lie, was very attractive to me. Um, and so this was the route that we chose to do the donor egg versus go down an adoption route yeah. that, um, I mean, nothing's in your control at the end of the day. But for us, this just felt like the right choice. Yeah. And let me let me just let me close that out really quickly by saying that we worked with a really good team of doctors initially and, and through the whole process. And they were quite adamant that you you, Heidi, were healthy enough to carry. They were had a very high level of confidence in being able to run this procedure and get everything, you know. 80, t- 80% success rate. We were we were chances. in a very high success rate. So we felt like it, that was that was the path that, that was presented to us that was good. So that's why that's a big part of why we took it. Yeah. And that was a result of a lot of soul searching and a lot of consultation with medical professionals and finding a team that we really trusted. Yeah. So all right, let's lighten it up really quick. <laughs> oh boy, what's up? I'm going to talk about the donating. Okay, let's. This is going to be short and sweet. This is going to be short and sweet. I, a couple of people asked about it. Now, and I know people are curious. When we say donating, we don't mean the donor egg. We mean Mark had to get his <laughs> material ready in one way or another. Not once, <laughs> but twice. So the first time I had to donate material, I'm not going to go into any like you know graphic detail here. We're all adults. You can figure this out. If not, there's a couple keywords for Google you can use to figure it out. Okay. But the first time I had to donate, uh, it was early in the morning. It was it was right about a year ago now. I think. I remember it was the fall. Anyways, um, I didn't sleep at all that night. I'm basically a prude. I have a foul mouth and I like dirty jokes, but. At my heart, I'm a prude. I would be the last person you're going to see streaking in a bunch of people. Uh, so I didn't get any sleep. And the room is bizarre that you go into. And I'll just say that there's magazines. There was a DVD player. There was an instruction set. There were some very particular things that you had to do to not contaminate samples. 
and it's a manual process. Apparently there is a non-manual process, which I, I would like to know what that is. A light surgical process. Uh, I don't even know what it is, but there was a, you know, in like, I, I'm going to, I just want to open up on this because like, not only is it sort of humorous, but it is like, it is daunting. It was quite daunting for me. Doing some of the legal paperwork around this was, was very intense. Like I had to sign a waiver that was like, do you realize what you need to do in this room to get a sperm to fertilize an egg? Do you have any religious convictions that this interferes with? So like as humorous as I can make this, this is like real serious business and like contracts and legal documents and stuff like that around it. And I just, I just want to say like, if I can get through it, I think any guy can get through it because it was hard. <laughs> but, and then I had to do it again. Once for practice, genetic testing. For testing and stuff. And stuff like that. And then, you know, the, the money shot was the second time. And I, I just wanted to point that out. And I think it might be good now for Heidi to just talk about sort of the, a quick overview of like the egg donation side of things, which applies also to sometimes women, I, I guess you could say, donate their own eggs. What do you mean? For IVF. In harvesting their own eggs. Oh, yeah. If you're IVF going treatment. through IVF, then then typically the procedure would be that you would go through a bunch of treatment to stimulate egg drop, where you drop a lot of eggs, and then they do a retrieval. Um, and they take your own eggs and fertilize them with your partner's material or maybe donor material or whatever. Yeah. Um, so that was obviously not an option for us because I didn't have any eggs left. And so... Um, so you, you look at donor. So, um, we got access to, once we decided this was our route, we got access to the donor database. Um, and this is probably the part I get most questions about. So I'll, none of my guy friends really ask me anything yeah, about my any girl, of this stuff. Every girlfriend is like, oh my gosh, what's it like? Like That's actually like, an interesting point too. Yeah. Uh, what's a donor database like? Like, what do you get to see? What do you get to learn about the people? So I'll tell you about my experience and then a little bit what I know of, of other experiences that you can opt into. Um, so we chose to just stick with our clinics database and that wound up being, um, a fresh database, meaning you find your donor and then they stimulate her through shots and injections and hormones. And then they retrieve her eggs fresh and anonymously too. anonymously. And let me just say like in like the stimulation with the hormones and stuff, we actually had to use a special like uh, pharmacy that we would we had to pay for this woman's medication and she would pick it up. We've never met the person. Yeah, and, and I'll get to that. Yeah, I just want to say there's a lot of weird mechanics in there that there are. So so yes, it was anonymous. Um, and and so then they stimulate her and they get all her eggs that she produces in one batch and however many she gets, she gets and that's what we get. We wound up with 32 eggs and I'll explain that number in a second. Yeah. Um, but going to the donor database. So it's a small database. We're in Denver, Colorado. It's fresh. They're very, very, very strict on who they do and don't accept. Um, it comes down to a lot of genetics, age, quality of the, their eggs. Motivation. Um, and also their motivation. They go through like I think three or four different counseling and screening processes yep. before they even get to the end. They want to make sure people aren't doing it for money, that they're doing it for the right reasons. So the database is small. There was about 12 people we had to choose from. Um, and that does change week or month to month. Usually they say it averages about 12 people at any given time. And typically one or two people will come out of the database each week as, as people choose them. And one or two new people will get added. So at any given time, there's 12. So you can get frozen eggs. You get access to a lot more options. You can go to um, an agency where you have a lot more options. You start adding in a lot of variables, more expense, more choice for us. I was like... I don't want to get overwhelmed with this process. Like in a way, like a constraint felt really good to me. So what did we get access to? We got to see childhood pictures um, up to about age five. Yeah. So you can kind of tell. Like one picture, maybe two, I think. Yeah, it, it, depended, on, it depended on the woman. But um, you could kind of tell what they looked like. Not like just teensy baby pictures where they all kind of look really cute and yeah. the same. Um <laughs> And then you got uh, very thorough genetic and health profiles. Um, you got profiles of the donor, their siblings, their parents, and their grandparents. And yeah. then you got some personal information. So there's almost like a personal essay portion where they're they're asked questions like, why are you donating? And what's your favorite childhood memory? And What do you want to tell what, people like us? Looking. Yeah, what would you want to tell people like like these people looking for a donor? And um, you know, what was your family like 
life like growing up. So there's some personal stuff. I remember when I was reading through those, I like burst out in tears, Yeah, which I didn't expect. There there was a lot of sentences where I was, yeah, I could feel it swelling up. Yeah. I could feel tears coming. So so that's basically the information we got access to as far as to choose the donor. Um, There are agencies and there are opportunities, if this is right for you, to do an open donation. You could go to someone you know. Um, My sister very graciously stepped up and said immediately, if you want me to do this, I will do this. Um, She's older. She's in her early 40s. And we decided not just because of age, but also just because of other various reasons that it wasn't the right choice for us. But we do know people from our support group who did have friends or other family members who they wound up getting a donation from. Um, And then there's agencies out there where you can either do an open donation or you do get to see adult pictures. Um, so there's all sorts of flavors. That was I th- what I think we what you're really with. trying to say is that there there are variations yeah. in what this is. And, and we use a, a local clinic here, which is apparently very well known nationally and not beyond. Not apparently, it is. It is, okay. <laughs> I, I'm not here to brag. I'm just, we didn't know this going in. It just happened to be in Denver. Uh, it's called CCRM, Colorado Center for Reproductive Medicine. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And uh, it was a good experience. It was... Uh, yeah. It's hard to deal with the healthcare industry, and, and it was one of the better experiences that I've had. Yeah, I agree. Um, one thing I wanted to talk about with the donor stuff that was really fascinating for us that was like I would never have expected in, in making this choice was you get so much genetic and health background about them that you start to, I don't want to say make judgments, but it almost is judgments on like, oh, her grandfather was an alcoholic. Yeah. What mm. if our kid starts drinking and becomes an alcoholic? Then that's always going to sit in the back of your head. But if you're with a partner in real life, like it I is would what never it is. think, like actually my dad's parents, so both my grandparents on my father's side were both alcoholics. But Mark would never think, or if he had an alcoholic grandparent, I would never think, oh gosh, we can't have a, a child husband. with your material because of this. But it just, the experience felt so much different when you're looking at it as like a bullet point on this piece of paper. Yeah. And it really, like some of those choices got really hard for us and like sat in the back of my head. Well, the, one of the one of the things I think I can re- repeat here safely is is actually related to alcoholism, where we we kind of talked about it a little bit. And like before I even say anything else, I want to say that so much, and I'm going to go into this next actually, but so many of the decisions here are just self centered, screwed up decisions and ways of thinking that you you will probably never run into legitimately outside us like like unnecessary unfair bias so the one the one that i'm going to talk about here was the alcoholism as you brought up and what we said to each other i think i might have brought up to you is like or i don't know who brought up doesn't matter is okay we know that somewhere down this donor eggs history there was a, a, a hint of alcoholism so what that translates into us because we have the choice we have a 13-year-old kid, let's say, and they pick up a beer and start drinking. And the two of us just snap our heads and go, oh, God, here it goes. He's going to be an alcoholic. And I know that's irrational. Or she. We don't or know she. the gender. Sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're right. It could go. doesn't really matter. He can be an alcoholic regardless of sex. But that thought and that seed and like carrying the weight of that, it could be something like suicide. It could, you know, Who knows? You now know that and you made a choice for it. Now, us together, if we didn't have a fertility issue and we just had a baby, it is what it is. If, if I had schizophrenia in my past, we would just deal with it. But now we're given 12 choices and we get to say no. And why do you say no? It's kind of selfish. It felt, it felt, it weighed on us. Yeah. Not only did, choose, let's just say choosing somebody with an alcoholic past, right? That had one type of weight on us that was like kind of unfair and undue. But then again, selecting against, like, you know, excluding that from our, our pool of possibilities to choose felt almost equally as bad because of the judgment that we're making, because we're provided with this choice. And looking at this, as, as we've had many people say, and we agree with, it's like online dating for your baby. It's full on creepy. Yeah. It really is. And for us... Uh, well, for me, and I pushed this into Heidi so she wouldn't overanalyze it and get a spreadsheet going. <laughs> I said, let's go in there. Let's go with the gut. 
you make your top picks, I'll make my top picks. We're gonna come together, we're gonna talk about it, we're gonna try to come to a decision. Like, not quickly in a bad way, but we don't wanna overthink. I shouldn't even say appropriate because for each person and party, it's a different time. It's different, but for us, we wanted to, like, I had a gut pick, you had a gut pick or two, and it turns out we ended up on the same page. We made our selection and then I said, Let's come back to this in a couple days and make sure that we're still okay with this. Let's look over all the information yeah. again. We spent about four weeks on it total. Yeah, and it was sort of like we touched it a little bit and then we finally sat down like by ourselves and then we, we sat down together and then we reviewed it again later and that was our decision. I'm not saying that's how you do it. That's how we handled it. Yeah. Some people in our group spent six months, 12 months, 18 months making Years. decision. And for them, that was the right choice. Yeah, so, so yeah, I'm not telling you how varies. to do it. I'm explaining our decision. Yeah. So that was um, that was the experience, and I don't think you uh, mentioned this, but I'll just go really quickly. We got a live donor. We got about thirty-two eggs. So with oh a, yeah, I was gonna get back to that. Yeah, I can do it really quickly. So in a live donor situation, and this will vary from clinic to Fre- clinic. Fresh donor. A fresh donor. Sorry, uh, we got all the eggs, and then those the you think you're like wow we hit the jackpot 32 and then they get fertilized and i think we had 19 19 fertilized 19 fertilized and then we did genetic testing and some other stuff no 19 fertilized right 11 made it to day five embryo five once they make it to five day old embryo then you do the genetic testing so out of 11 we actually wound up with seven genetically viable embryos which was Actually, still pretty good. Still a crazy high number. There were some people in our group who wound up with one, one or two, or two. Um, from fresh eggs. You know, from from twenty eight eggs, it goes down to one or two. So we really actually did do the quite number well. like gets halved and halved in front of you really yeah. quickly, and it, it's it's quite nerve wracking. Yeah. We were we are very fortunate that the first transfer took, and we are now third trimester. Yeah. Um, but the other thing I want to mention in this is that okay, so that's a fresh donor. One of the other ways we could have gone was uh, frozen donor eggs where they're they're basically harvested and, and suspended and frozen. And I you get 10, nine. right? Nine. When okay. you buy them, you get lots of nine. You get lots of nine. So if you think about that with fertilization, how that cuts down, like we made one choice and I think we made the right choice for us and we're not excluding any of these. I'm just trying yeah. to explain a little bit of the diaspora of options you have here yeah so so just really quickly too you kind of very fast said the we had our first transfer and it worked so people listening might not even know what that means so uh, yeah I uh, once we had our seven viable genetically viable embryos um they prepped my body for about six weeks a lot of drugs hormones shots it was really an awesome time uh haha <laughs> <laughs> um and then you go to the doctor and they basically transfer the embryo into your uterus and um, that first one that they transferred took and it's stuck, and that's the one we have now. So we yeah. still have six embryos that are now currently frozen. Yeah. Um, but that's what Mark meant by the first transfer. They a lot of people I've heard call it implantation, but if that's the wrong word. Um, it's actually a transfer, and then they that, hope that it implants. Right, and I would imagine there's a little variation on language as you go from clinic to yeah. clinic, and so. and we're using some some of the terms we're using here are clinical terms that we were exposed to, such as like you know harvest sounds. I don't know, it sounds weird, but, but that's what they do. They harvest that, eggs. That's what they do, yeah. and, and transfer. So. Uh, the, the next topic I want to hit really quickly because I think it's important is basically racism and stuff like that. Yeah. I, I'll go over super yeah, fast if you, you want. Yeah, you can do it. You can do it. Uh, I'll, I'll sort of, I'll quote somebody that was in one of our groups and we should probably just talk about the group quickly right after this, but, uh, there was somebody in our group and they were Hispanic and I'm using them to talk about this. And I had conversation with a couple and, and they were really nice people. And he said, we don't want a white baby. We want a baby that looks like us. And we had the same thing where there were people in our lives, friends, family, whatever, that asking, you know, very honest questions, just really just totally honest questions like, well, how do you know you're not getting a black baby or something like that? Because we were Caucasian and that's a legitimate concern. And all of a sudden you're faced with like, like racism or, or something like that is is part of your selection process and for me it was very weird and that was one of the more difficult subjects for me because i'm 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 passing judgment and making decisions here for our family and our life where like race is a component and that's something that i try not to have be a component in like 
making a decision or passing judgment on somebody or something based on their color or their religion or anything like that. But it's right here. It's slapping you in the face. And I do want to point that out because for me, it was difficult. And I know that I wasn't alone from talking to other people in our support group. And personally, I feel it's important to bring that subject up just for anybody that, that starts thinking about it, know that they're not alone. And that's just a decision. And it's something that you need to uh, get over um, and, and, and deal with in your own way. And we did, and we're okay, Yeah. but it was still there. Yeah. And you want to talk a little bit about the, uh, yeah. the support group and, and the dynamics of that? Yeah. So we really lucked out, like Mark said, our clinic does happen to be one of the best in the country. Um, just by chance, it was really lucky. Um, and they have a built-in, uh, support group with, I think they have three or four counselors. At least three I can think of. Um, who work at least part-time, uh, and they're like pretty much always available. Like if you have need to make a phone call and just talk to somebody like they're available and it's, it's free of charge as part of your services to the clinic. Um, anyways, they hold a support group once a month and Mark and I started going to that before we had even finalized our decision like decided, yeah. as to like, are we going to do this? What's going on? Um, and I want to bring it up just because, um, it was phenomenally helpful in terms of meeting other people who are going through this and knowing that we weren't alone and hearing other people's stories. Like what we're doing right now. Yeah. And, and that did inspire us to do this because they talked a lot about how, um, most clinics don't have support groups because, or even on, on or even counselors counselors. on staff because the doctors, and I say doctors with air quotes, um, from, this is translated from the counselors told us the male doctors, um, at these clinics, they don't think that the women, and I say women, it can go either way, right? But that was their stereotype, their bucket. There's some sexism, I think. Of like, well, the male doctors don't think that the women need the emotional support. They say, oh, my patients are fine. So I, I say that more or less verbatim from the counselors at our clinic. The point is, most clinics do not have support groups or counselors built in. Yeah. So... Um, if you are going through something like this, um, which I have had some friends go through this who did not have access to that type of support group, and um, I always encourage you to do some Googling, find something else local. Like, I guarantee one in eight people is going through this. There is something out there. <laughs> could there's, be a meetup. It could even be an online support group. I don't know what it is. Well, I'm sure um, there's something. You know? Facebook groups, email lists, whatever it is. I know there's podcasts on this stuff, but um, for us, we just found that connecting with some other people who are having similar challenges. And in various stages of, yeah, of the process. Yeah, we met with people who were already pregnant and then having some challenges with, with some emotional disconnect from the baby because it wasn't their own material. And we met people at, at various different stages. And so it just became, we actually met a couple who had six-year-old twins from donor eggs, six, well, seven, almost seven years ago, right? Yeah. Um, and it was very cool to hear their story and to see these twins and they look exactly like their mom, but they came from donor egg and it was wild to us. And so the point is, find some people, find something to help you get through this because there are so many people going through it. And um, that's, you know, going back to one of the reasons we wanted to do this episode was, to let you know that you're not alone, do some advocacy, education, and awareness, and like let you know some of the tools that we wound up finding very helpful to get us through some challenging moments. The support group was very valuable, and over the past five or ten years, myself, uh, be you know counseling in various ways and having people to talk about stuff, uh, I, I understand the value more, and I think that there's a taboo about counseling be it uh, a one-on-one with a, a psychologist or a psychotherapist or something in a counseling group for support. I think that we have a lot of negative stereotypes about that. And, and I would like to say that this group and other things I've engaged in has been quintessential in me improving my quality of life physically and mentally. Life-changing, genuinely. Life, life, life-changing. And like Heidi said, we did... There, like I, It's like at the beginning of the year, they have uh, one couple who's very engaged come in with their twin daughters. And like that, that was a game changer for me to see these two daughters with with their parents and like no they came from donor eggs and it's like you would never know it and we'll talk about disclosure to children but their disclosure was so transparent it was it was amazing it's pretty cool but uh i'm gonna do one quick note here and then i want to go into genetics okay Okay. and the note i want to just make sure that i get out there and this does come from the counseling group 
And I had an interface with a couple where the the male side of, of the couple, the heterosexual couple, the male side was where the fertility issue was. And there's more than one, but there's, there's one particular couple in mind. I remember talking to, to this gentleman. He was destroyed. Like you could see it in his posture, the way he talked, everything about him. It, it was a, more of a recent discovery and men can be the problem. It wasn't the case for us, but I think I would be destroyed as well. And I just want to say that it's okay if the male partner has the fertility issue and that, that that's, it's, it's okay. But for the women or the other side of the equation in this, I do want to say that if you're having fertility issues and you're trying to have a baby and things aren't going according to plan and your doctor might be scratching his head, just don't hesitate to get the man tested. We heard a couple stories where tens of thousands of dollars were spent on treatment and, and, and treating things, the woman, treating the woman where it ended up being the male partner. So just try to get that out a little bit earlier. It, it's tough for guys. It, it, it does confront a little bit of, of, of what you, you know, the, the masculinity, the masculinity, it has a little taboo. Just deal with it. If you want a baby, this is just something you might have to do. So get over it <laughs> and, but be gentle about it. I mean, I kind of chuckle about it, but like, I remember this person and how distraught they were. And I don't think I'm ever really going to forget that interface. And that could have been me. It could have been our situation. And I feel like we would have gotten through it, but it would have been really hard, uh, no matter where the infertility problem lie. So one thing that kind of did get to me, but didn't, and it depends on like the time of the day you asked me about it, is the genetic aspect. And full disclosure on my side, <laughs> I'm an only child and we were getting laid into, into life for having a baby. And my parents finally started asking me and like, I didn't want to be the dead end of my family. My father was an only child. I'm an only child. So if we don't have a kid, we're gone. Like that tree's dead. <laughs> so the genetic aspect on this is that we are not necessary. We are not period. Uh, combining our genetics. We are combining a mystery person's genetic on the female egg side with my genetics. And we have no choice on that because of Heidi's condition, but the genetic aspect is, is real. And I struggled with it a little bit. Uh, it's not a truly big struggle, but it was something that it was part of my thought and it's not a problem at all. I've completely like early on, I found a very early piece with it. But as you get into this stuff, so many things are thrown at you. This is one of the things that you will probably uh, think about and just, just work through it. it. It It's more about having the child. It's, it's about raising that child. There is epigenetics, which is the influence of the mother's womb and, 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 and being pregnant on the baby, which is a new topic. But your child is part genetics. I'm not going to deny that, but a really big part of the child's everything is who you are as a person, how you raise the child. So I just want to bring it up that that is, uh, that is something out there. And the other thing that's important about genetics in this situation, which I think is kind of interesting and I never knew this, Heidi is carrying a baby who shares no genetic component with her. As a result, her immune system... No, that's in general. That's always. It's always that way because it's half not your genetic material. But I remember talking to them recently and they said, you are, because you're using a donor egg... Oh, you, she did say that. Yeah, because you... What, what's happening basically is this baby that is in, in, inside of you... Is 100% foreign genetics. 100% foreign genetics. And you run the risk of your system, your... Uh, uh, attacking the attacking baby attacking the baby basically so colds so your immune your immune system, system. yes so this happens in a regular pregnancy for. your immune system gets suppressed meaning you get sick Weakened. more easily because your body reacts so it doesn't attack the baby and since but usually you have 50% your own genetics and 50% your partners i say usually right and typical situations yeah. um traditional traditional i'm not sure what the right word is to be honest but um so where i'm have 100% foreign genetics in my body. So 
I have gotten more colds than I would care to admit, but yeah, and you're you're at a higher risk of, of getting yeah. getting sick. So yeah. so just an interesting side note. I, I just want to bring up the genetic aspect. It's it's a very deep, long discussion, but I I want to make sure that it is um, that it's out there, and I think the last subject that we really need to touch on, which we hinted at a little bit, is disclosure to the child. Yeah, so um, it's interesting because many people have asked us about this. Like, what do you tell the kid? There's Um, a lot of opinions. There's a lot of opinions. Uh, What we have chosen to do and what... um, what research I do believe has has shown to be most beneficial. I say that norm. with a, a tiny grain of salt, um, and what our clinic promotes and our our support group promotes. But I think was what we would have done regardless of that. Um, full transparent disclosure. Obviously, we're doing a podcast on this. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, should we say hi to our future child listening? Future to this? baby will ultimately have some opportunity to hear this. Um, but we're we're a pretty transparent family. We don't um, really keep secrets. We to kind of tell everything as it is. Um, and so, we're full disclosure, full transparency to people out there. Our neighbors well, we're know. We're doing a podcast on this now. Um, you know, it's it's to to me it's it's a non-issue. This is what it is. This is our option. Um, we are very grateful and lucky that it did work out. I know, and I, I want I want to just say this again because I do empathize with people who are going through this who have not gotten to success or who might not get to success or do not have the means to get to success. Uh, this has not been a cheap journey. Um, but that being said, we do have every intention of being fully transparent from kind of day one. So there's a whole series of books that you can get that you start reading to your kids. like the P and me or something like that. I forget what it's called. We have to, we have to look online, but you can buy this whole series of books that you read at different ages and they really suggest, which I think is a great option for us and works for us is um, you just kind of do it from the very beginning, like starting almost at like age one and you just read these books and they're, you know, maybe by the time they're age three or four, the story kind of goes, you know, to make a baby, your mommy needs a seed and your daddy needs a seed and your mommy was out of seed. So, so she borrowed one. She from borrowed someone. one from a different mommy. And yeah. so that's kind of, you know, the, the basis of the explanation. But the point with this is that the sort of slow, this is always your story. This You're is just, trickling it in all the time. You trickle it in. And there's no like, well, you're 10 years old now. We're going to sit you down and we're going to drop t- a bombshell. Tell you this thing. <laughs> so there's no, it avoids a big moment like that. And it's just, it's their norm. And and Mark mentioned earlier, the six-year-old twins that we met, um, like the parents, you know, the talk eye roll about, moment. about that they're a donor and the girls just like eye roll. Like, yeah, they're like, we're we sick of talking about this mom. We get it. <laughs> but it's just, it's their normal, right? So again, there's no moment. There's no like making them feel like it's this weird or special or, or maybe they could feel like it's special, but that this is different thing. Right. Um, so yeah, so that's our plan. Yeah. And there's uh, there's a lot of resources out there and books and other things. And it's, uh, it's something that you need to decide on and you need to kind of plot your path and what was laid out in front of us through counseling uh, and these groups and other people that we've met in the experience, we were comfortable with the disclosure. And obviously, you know, at three years old, the story goes one way and at 10 years old, it's a little bit different. But I think that the idea with the early and full disclosure means that the idea that there was a different egg, like it's probably not going to register with a three, four, five year old. No. But by talking about it continuously, when they start to understand what the the bigger meaning of that is, it will not be a shock. Because by the, the child at three, four, five, six, seven, eight, you're just the parents. And this gobbledygook you're telling them about eggs and seeds, like they're they're nodding and they half get it. But if you drop too much of a bombshell or you shed too much information at once, I think that that's where things can go wrong. And well, I don't know if we're the ones to make judgments on that, but well, I'm just I'm just going on what I what I feel partially and what I've absorbed from these groups, yeah. and I think that it just the story sort of grows, and then as they understand the larger consequence of what this means, it won't be uh, it won't be a shock to the system. It's it's the idea is it's never a shock; it's always their normal. Yeah, yeah, and it's just always something we've talked about, and I think in the end it will. And I, I believe this to be true that it, it, it forges a stronger bond with the parents because, like, that's just how it is. And like, there's a lot of things that change your thinking about this. Yeah. Uh, do you want to just hit on the price really quick? 
Yeah, we can hit on the price. Um, um, I wasn't sure if you were going to bring it up, but we can talk about it. So I, d I did just mention it. It was... Um, um, actually, before you do any of that, we the price is big. We'll say that. It's very big. It's very big. <laughs> and there's a lot of ways to do this. And you can go on the less expensive route and you can spend, you know, you can go more to a, a prestigious clinic. I guess that's what we did. You can go out of the country or out of state and, and have these procedures. And we examined all of them and... Yeah, that's an interesting point. Some states actually require health insurance to uh, pay for this. Uh, Colorado is not one of those states. Oh. New York, I know, does require health insurance to pay for yeah, IVF for treatment. So, you know, if budget is a limiting factor and you can make this work in your life, which is easier said than done, <laughs> you can look at like, you can travel overseas to do it. Um, I, I did a little bit of research on that and you can save quite a bit of money and you basically have to like go over there for like three weeks and just do it. Um, the stress factor and such was yeah, too much it, for us. we decided it wasn't a good match. Or there are some states that do require, um, but in a lot of states, pretty much most insurance companies yeah. do not pay a penny. Yeah, um, so, that was our situation. So there were a lot of options, and for me, um, I wanted to save the money. I or put another way, I didn't want to unnecessarily spend money that maybe we didn't have to. pay for this and make the money available. And I know that's not possible for everyone. So I'm not saying any choice is better or worse, but I wanted, I wanted to feel comfortable about our, our decision and it, the clinic that we worked with and some of the other stories that we had, which was probably, you know, them telling us bad stories from their competitors, but that's, that's the choice that we made. And, and it, it was expensive and it was actually rivaled the expense that we researched for an adoption. Yeah. So, I'd, I mean, I'm fine being totally transparent. It wound up being about $55,000 um, to get from absolutely zero through the first transfer. Um, if we needed to do more transfers, it would have added more expense each time. It wasn't another 50, but yeah. It was another 55, 50, 55. But um, uh, yeah, so that was about what it was. And, and Mark's right. It does rival the expense of adoption. Um, depending on what situation you might be in or what you're looking for. Um, we could have saved about half of that by going overseas. I looked into Prague and Spain, and we could have done it for about 25 to 30 going there. But That's we not just the reason I want to go to Spain. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, so really? anyways, you know, we decided it wasn't for us. But I throw that out there because... Um, There's options. I'm sure a lot of people listening are like dying to know what was the price. Um, and you can do some research online, and I've seen some blog posts and articles that are like, Oh, it costs twenty thousand dollars, and I'm like, who and where are you going that it's twenty thousand okay. dollars? Like, I, wanna... I just feel like I've read enough content that, and yes, our clinic is a little bit more expensive, um, but they do have higher success rates, all this other stuff. So we luckily were able to opt into that. But I feel like I saw a lot of content that seemed like the estimates felt a little low. So I wanted to hit on that, and I can't say this with certainty, but this is a big dollar item for doctors. Like this is a this is a really big bill. You get you know these people are with you three maybe six months, and you're getting tens of thousands of dollars, and like it it's a it I did the I it's a lot of money. So these numbers are gonna I feel like they and and this is so anecdotal but i feel like they vary because some may not include the egg or may not include this aspect or something else it might just be for like the treatment span with a doctor but then you have to also do this also do this it might not include your medication they right. warned us that medication alone can add upwards of ten thousand dollars to the bill so there's a lot of variables that, like Mark just said, I think that's a good point. It might not be included in the number that you see on paper. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, this other car dealer is really cheap for the same car, but you're not getting any wheels or engine with it. <laughs> um, so it could be a situation so, like that. So yeah. make sure you're, you know, in, in investigating this, if this is something that, that you are looking into, make sure you get apples to apples, get all the facts in front of you um, and, and, and work, with, work with good numbers because you want this to go right. You want to make sure that, like, and this seems weird. You want to make sure that the doctors and the team you're working with are confident that they can get this done. I am absolutely confident that there are facilities out there that are more interested in the money and the turnover yeah. than they are the babies. And yeah. I know that sounds horrible, but... 
Well, where I mean, the, the clinic that we were at, I got the distinct impression they wouldn't even let us do it unless they felt really, really confident about it. Right. That's why they tested my body first to see the viability for caring because they're like, we're not going to do this transfer if your body is not happy to do this. Um, I'll just throw out one last point on the money sure. stuff was that um, the other thing with the support group that was very, very beneficial, um, there's kind of this like underground black market for exchanging medication because the medication is very, very expensive and um, the hormones and stuff, the pa- there's patches and shots. shots and pills and everything. Um, and so sometimes what happens is you have leftovers and so women often just share with each other. And so that's one great thing. The other great thing is that you can get tips on strategies to save yourself a little money. Like I learned that sometimes what happens is your insurance won't pay for the medication before the transfer, but once you have the transfer and once you get a positive pregnancy test, they will then pay for the medication to help you maintain that. So there's different rules based on when you're not pregnant and you're trying to get pregnant versus once you're pregnant, they'll pay for different things. So, and you just have to be careful with that with insurance. And so I found that out through the support group, through a woman at the support group. So you know, besides getting the emotional support, there's just some like help in like strategies to navigate this because it can get very overwhelming. And we've never done this before. Insurance is never fun. So I think that's probably a good point to, to wrap up and, um, say, you know, again, wanted to talk about this for some education and some advocacy. And, uh, my inbox is always open to you. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not always able to respond to every email, but I do read every email. So if you want to reach out anytime on this topic, please, please, please do that either on my inbox, um, Heidi at soheidi.com or on Instagram direct message. You could even pass a husband to me if, if you wanted. Yeah. Or Mark's happy to talk to anyone yeah. too, but I feel um, open about it. if you like just need a shoulder to lean on or you need someone to vent to, or you need someone to tell your story or whatever it might be, um, please do reach out, um, hundred percent confidentiality. I know I share screenshots of emails and stuff <laughs> in my business. If you follow me regularly, um, this is hundred percent confidential. I would never ever like share or talk about any of your story or anything, <laughs> even in an anonymous manner. So please know that. Um, so yeah, that's really it. If you have any questions too, I, I will try to get back to you with answers to questions. Um, again, fully transparent on everything with this yeah. and happy to, you know, share whatever, or again, just like listen to your story, um, via email or message, or if you want to just complain and you just need someone to like, get really frustrated (laughs) at, like, tell me, give me your bitch session because I get it. It's tough. And my deepest empathy is to you if you are, or have gone through this. And if you are not getting to, or cannot get to success, um, I really, really empathize. And, um, I'm, it makes me sad to hear that. I know that's a struggle. I have personal friends who are in those situations. Yep. So, yeah. And, um, I think that we really just close it out by saying that, you know, what you listen to here is, I suppose, a, a way of us saying thanks for our good fortune that we've had Yeah. in, in so many different ways. It will be Thanksgiving a week from tomorrow, technically of yeah. recording. <laughs> and we do want to give thanks and This is a little bit of an advocacy sort of exception to Heidi's podcast, but I think that there will be some people in the audience that this is really going to connect to and really help. I hope so. If it helps one person, it's worth it. Yeah. And and just that this is our way of of being thankful for everything that we have and and what's laid out in front of us. So I I think that that's a perfect place to end. Yeah. So thank you for listening and have a great holiday if you're celebrating. Yep. (laughs) 